So I want to start with a question. What did John the Baptist do? What did he do? He prepared the way for Jesus and he baptized people. Yeah. He ate honey and locusts. locusts. Sounds delicious, doesn't it? (laughs) Anything else that he did? He preached. Yeah, Joanne? He followed Jesus. Jesus. Came before Jesus, but yeah, he was definitely. Yeah, no, you're fine. (laughs) Okay. All right, good answers, everyone. Yes, yes. Yeah, um, all these answers are absolutely true. Um, He encouraged people to repent, and he baptized people in Jordan River. He baptized Jesus, yeah. And all those answers are true in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In the fourth Gospel, however, the Gospel we call the Gospel of John, not written by John the Baptist, it's another person, The important thing about John the Baptist is not what he does. It is what he sees and says. Yes, he does baptize people in the Jordan River, but his primary function is not to get them ready for the coming of the Messiah. His role is to witness, to testify to the Messiah. Instead of calling people to repent of their sins and get washed up, he says, I came baptizing with water for this reason that he, that is the Messiah, might be revealed in Israel. Or as the gospel writer puts it, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. If John had a Facebook page, his profile picture would be a pointing index finger. And the only information in his profile would be witness to the Lamb of God. We get to eavesdrop on his testimony in verses 32 through 34. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and declared, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove and it remained in him. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I myself have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. While in the other three Gospels, John's big moment comes when he baptizes Jesus, The high point of his ministry in this gospel comes when he shares this eye-opening experience with others. And then again, when he literally points out Jesus to two of his disciples the next day. Look, here is the Lamb of God, he tells them, and then watches calmly as they begin to go away from him and to follow Jesus. Up to this point in John, we've heard absolutely nothing from Jesus, but when he turns and sees the two men following, he asks them, what are you looking for? Or more literally, what are you seeking? The response that the disciples give is almost comical. Where are you staying? I mean, (laughs) at first hearing it just, that just seems to be an absolute non sequitur, as if the two men were embarrassed that Jesus uh, saw them following him and got all flustered. However, the original Greek word, meno, 
that we translate as staying indicates that there is more going on here than meets the eye. Because that word can also be translated as remaining or abiding, a concept that will appear over and over again in this gossip, gospel, and in fact has already shown up in John the Baptist's description of his vision of the Spirit when it said that it remained on Jesus. Jesus himself will use this same word during the Last Supper when he tells the disciples, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide, stay, remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. In other words, to stay with Jesus in this gospel means to be in an enduring relationship with him. And the gospel writer's use of that word at this point foreshadows what is to come for these two men. Though they have no idea of the ultimate significance of their words, these two men really aren't asking Jesus for his address. <laughs> Having heard John's testimony about Jesus, they want to discover my, for themselves if that testimony is true. The fullness of their relationship with Jesus will, over time, unfold. But right now, they simply want to get closer to him, to know him better. Jesus responds to their questions with three simple words. Come and see. There is no attempt to recruit here. This is an open invitation, an offer of hospitality, a welcoming word. Come and see. Come and be with me for a while. It's almost as if Jesus is reassuring the two that they are welcome to be with him and that he has no expectations and will make no demands. We're told that they indeed came and saw where he was staying and that they remained with him, there's that word again, all of that day. Apparently their experience with Jesus convinced them of the validity of John's testimony for the very next day, one of them, a man named Andrew, went to his brother Simon and told him, we have found the Messiah. I have no doubt that when Simon looked at his brother like he was nuts, Andrew said to him, come and see. Come and see the truth for yourself. Come and see for yourself the one for whom we have been waiting. Come and see the Lamb of God and let him change your life. Come and see Jesus. Isn't that exactly what we want when we show up at church? To come and see Jesus? Yes, we come to be with each other. We come to hear a good word that will take us through the week. We come for that fellowship. But ultimately, we take part in church because we long for a deeper relationship with this person who is the central figure of our faith, the one in whom we have been baptized, the one to whom we have pledged our lives. Sadly, of course, we cannot literally have the experience of the disciples. We can't just sit down and talk with Jesus, would that we could. But even John didn't have that blessing. Even so, he shared what he saw and knew in his heart with those whom he encountered. And thank goodness, those who came to be Jesus' disciples did the same. Others wrote down that witness as well as their own experience. And their testimony has come down to us in the gift of our New Testament. 
Though reading the Bible is as close as we can come to sitting in Jesus' physical presence, we can do the same thing that John and so many others did. We can share our own experience of being in relationship with Jesus. In fact, I would say this is our primary work as Christians, to see, if you will, Jesus, and to share our experience with others, and then to invite them to come and see for themselves. How do we do that? Well, let me reassure you that in my opinion, that does not mean assaulting others and asking if they are saved. It does not mean twisting arms, wheedling, pleading, intimidating, or threatening. It means sharing honestly and clearly what we have seen and heard and felt with others. As individuals and as the church, we are to be witnesses like John, testifying to the one whom we have seen and with whom we are in an abiding relationship. Of course, John didn't just look up one day and see Jesus walking toward him and suddenly realize what he was supposed to do. On the contrary, by the grace of God, he had a clear vision of his mission and ministry. When the Jewish religious leaders came to ask him who he was, he promptly said, no, I'm not the Messiah, no, I'm not Elijah, no, I'm not the prophet. When they demanded, well, then what do you say about yourself? He responded with the words of Isaiah, I am the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. John understood that his mission was to point others to Jesus. Those of us who form the congregation of El Segundo United Methodist Church also need a vision, and by the grace of God, we have been given one. Our vision was developed in response to a request from our bishop, Grant Hygieia, that each church in our conference develop a statement that answers the question, what new church do you see and want to be? While his request was prompted by the turmoil after last February's general conference, I was grateful for the opportunity for our church to clarify the purpose that will guide our mission and ministry for the foreseeable future, to discover a vision that will spell out how we intend to share our witness of Jesus Christ and to invite others to come and see. As many of you know, the development of this vision statement took place over several months and involved small group and congregational discussions as well as a congregational survey. It was adopted at our December 4th charge conference. Now the work of implementing this vision statement, of living it out, begins. The church council has already spent some time talking about it and will continue to do so, and I will be convening a vision realization team Doesn't that sound like something out of a movie? The VRT. Um, To do some serious brainstorming. (laughs) But implementing this vision is not the work of a committee or two. It's the work of each one of us and all of us. In order to do this work, however, we must know what our vision statement says, not just as words on a page, but in our minds and our hearts. To that end, beginning next week, I'll be preaching a series of sermons that I hope will flesh out the different elements that make up the vision, the statement, and spark our imaginations. But today, let's begin by reading aloud together our vision statement. So you'll find it printed in your bulletin right at the head of the service on that first page where we start the service. Let's share this aloud. Following the example of Jesus Christ, 
El Segundo United Methodist Church seeks to be a community of faith that embodies the love of God by reaching out and welcoming all, especially those on the margins of society, by creating a safe space in which all are supported on their faith journey, and by serving the needs of the community and beyond. That's it. Someone said to me, it's so long and complicated. And I freely admit that at first or even second glance it is, glance it is. but then so is the United Methodist purpose and so is the Pledge of Allegiance. <laughs> As we become more familiar with the statement, as we read it again and again, as we think and pray about it, I think it will be a lot less intimidating. As for the task of carrying it out, let me send us back, take us back to scripture. I want you to think about what each person does in the passage that Christy read. John says, look, here is the Lamb of God, and shares the wonder of what he saw. And as a result, the men who will become the first disciples go after Jesus. Jesus says, come and see. And they decide to bet their lives on him. Andrew tells his brother that he should meet Jesus, and the man who will become the rock of the church comes to Jesus, and his name and his life are forever changed. One seeing, one sharing, one invitation at a time the mission and ministry of Jesus begins. So it is with us. When we tell each other in a committee meeting or in a conversation where we have seen God at work that that week, when we say, wow, this amazing thing happened to me, or I was so impressed when I saw this, we help each other to notice God's activity in our lives more and more. Likewise, when we express something positive about our church with each other, we are more inclined to share the same with someone outside of our church. When there is an event at our church that we enjoy, thinking about someone else who would also enjoy it just might bring us a little bit closer to actually inviting them to come. One seeing, one sharing, one invitation at a time, we can share our faith with others. And so it will be with this vision. One step, one choice, one decision at a time, by the grace of God and with the guidance of the Holy Spirit, we will live into it and more and more become a church that points not to itself, but to the Lamb of God, a church that seeks not its own glory, but the glory of God. May it be so. Amen.